so I, I graduated from seminary uh, about a month ago. And while I was going through seminary, man, I really knew like where the Lord was taking me. I had this, this direction uh, in my life where uh, there, there really wasn't much wavering. There wasn't much time to, to feel bored, to be kind of uncertain of the direction the Lord had on my life. Uh, but then something funny happened. Uh, I graduated. And uh, it was a fun time, of course, right? I uh, got to kind of walk with my classmates and, and all those sorts of things. But after a couple of days, I was just sitting at home saying, man, I'm bored, you know? And my wife started making fun of me, you know? It's like, okay, you have this abundance of free time and very few responsibilities. Like, man, life is really rough, you know? Um, and it's kind of comical in a sense, but really when I sat back and started to reflect a little bit, there was this sense of I wasn't sure of my, my next steps in that direction. And although I, I had next steps, I absolutely did. It was, I kind of had to wait like five days, you know, so it felt like an eternity uh, in, in my world. Um, and as I was walking through on that journey, it really caused me to reflect on what I had felt prior to knowing Christ. Um, see, I, I came to know the Lord at 25 years old, so there was, there was a lot of my life, in a sense, that was spent not knowing the Lord, and so, some good young adult years just kind of searching for my purpose in life. And really, it was this, this absence of meaning, so to speak, this, this purposelessness, this, man, what is life really about? Like, like why am I here? Um, and it's funny, it, it just caused me to kind of reflect, man, how many of us, you know, interact with people day in and day out who, who feel that way. But more than that, even as Christians, man, we're not sure and certain um, of where the Lord's calling us. And we're not pressing forward to where the Lord's taking us. It's really easy for those feelings to set in. It's really easy for those feelings to set in. And so the question becomes, man, how do we battle that? How do we ensure that we're, that we're pressing forward into all the Lord has for us and that there isn't confusion or moments of pain or, um, of course, there's going to be moments of pain, but I'm saying this, this deep down kind of pain that kind of says, man, life is, there's no meaning to it. It's purposeless. So how do we move forward? How do we press into all the Lord has for us? And fortunately, Paul gives us a very clear illustration of this in Philippians 3. So just to get you into a little bit of context, uh, we're in a series on uh, Paul's letters to the Philippian church on Philippians. Uh, we've already done uh, Philippians 1 and 2 the last couple weeks. Um, and in Philippians, uh, Paul, man, this is a letter where he's, he's really voicing a lot of appreciation uh, for the Philippians who had supported him financially uh, and all, had also supported him in prayer. Uh, beyond this, just to kind of get you in the context, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He had been arrested. Uh, he's actually chained to guards uh, during this time, so there's, there's very little freedom. And in the midst of this, he's actually get preparing uh, to go to trial. So he's unsure whether he's going to live or die. And so the words he speaks, man, they carry a weight to them. They carry a punch. Just like any of us, if we're going to speak our, our last words, our final words, like, they're going to mean something. Uh, they're going to carry a, a high level of significance, of value. And so as we read the, these words, just keep that in mind, the significance of this. Um, and as we go through, we're going to read all the way down to verse 12 initially because that's really what the uh, message that Paul is trying to illustrate kind of comes to a head. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. 
For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I, may se- though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in, in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Now with the, the thought of death uh, possibly coming upon Paul, uh, he's contemplating what's really important in life. And he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now this phrase, to make it my own, uh, it's also translated take hold of or to apprehend after a destiny. So what Paul's saying here is that he's going to pursue his determined purpose in life. Uh, that he's not going to walk through life passively, but because Christ basically came to him, uh, offering him salvation, revealing himself, well now Paul is going to do everything in his power to live in the fullness of God in his life, to, to live his best life, to discover the full meaning of his new life in Christ. Um, his salvation was not just for heaven, but his salvation was tied to a destiny here on earth. And that's why the title of this message uh, is Living the God-Intended Life. And realize the implications of this are huge. I mean, what Paul is saying is that his life is not a mistake. And in the same way, he's saying your life is not a mistake. That God crafted you for a a purpose, for meaning, uh, to to live a life of significance. Um, We we see this throughout biblically. We see this in the lives of of Solomon, right, of David, uh, now Paul, okay. All throughout we see this taking place that people are, are, are crafted with purpose, with unique personalities, uh, characteristics, skills, abilities. Uh, God knows your, your strengths, your weaknesses, and he knows exactly where he wants to take you in life. He knew us before we were, you know, even crafted in our mother's womb. So the question becomes, how do we live the life that God intended, us, intended for us to live? Okay, so the first thing that Paul would say as we look specifically at verses 2 through 6 um, is going to be build your life on biblical truth as God has revealed it. So uh, notice how many times in verse uh, 2 here that Paul says look out. Okay, he says look out three times. All right? And basically what he's saying, he's, he's talking about a group of people called the Judaizers. All right? And what these individuals are doing is they're, they're pretty much following uh, Paul's work, which is really presenting the gospel of grace okay, presented to us by Jesus Christ. And uh, they're distorting it. So these are Jewish believers that are saying, hey, like any of you Gentiles that want to come into the uh, church, you have to follow Jewish customs, Jewish rituals, Jewish festivals, and all these sorts of things. And uh, so really it, it ends up being this ideology where, where people are in a sense being shaped by culture okay, rather than their God-given destiny. And so what Paul's warning us against is to ensure that this isn't happening in our lives. 
Um, and, but the reality is many of us uh, approach Scripture this way, approach our faith this way, where we allow culture, in a sense, to speak into our lives more than we allow Scripture, more than we allow God's Word, more than we allow our relationship with the Lord. Um, that's why some of these statistics are, are troubling. Uh, it's 51% of evangelicals believe that other religions can lead to heaven. 30% of Southern Baptists believe abortion should, in most cases, be legal. That jumps to 65% in mainline denominations. And 54% of Americans who claim to be Christians believe homosexuality and the LGBT should be accepted and embraced. And so what ends up taking place is that we allow culture to dictate what Scripture says. Um, but the reality is that God's word doesn't change. Um, and so we need to ensure that we're basing our lives on God's word. And realize that this is the, the same uh, for any political issue. Um, and that's one of the areas where we really see this taking place in our culture probably more than anywhere else, uh, where we begin to elevate ideologies uh, above God's word, uh, above um, the historical Christianity presented to us by Jesus Christ and his apostles uh, that is present within Scripture. And so what we'll see is uh, people beginning to identify first as a Republican or first as a Democrat, and secondly, um, as a Christian. And as soon as we start kind of giving Christianity, in a sense, and our faith in the Lord and our relationship with the Lord, kind of second-class citizenship, we're, we're in trouble, right? Because as soon as we do that, we're, we're elevating an ideology, in a sense, above our relationship with the Lord. Um, and what we end up doing is we, we kind of follow a, a party platform, and then we use Scripture to kind of back that point, rather than actually being refined by the Lord uh, in our beliefs. And the, the true reality of it is that we need to allow these different uh, biblical truths to sharpen us and to shape us. And so that no matter which uh, side of the aisle we're on, the fact that, that Scripture says, I knew you before I formed you and your mother's womb could, should really impact uh, how we approach uh, political issues, right? Uh, the fact that Scripture says, love foreigners as yourselves, for you were once foreigners. Uh, that should really impact how we approach uh, our, our understanding of political issues. And yet so often, again, we, we elevate these political parties above our relationship with the Lord, above Scripture. And that, that is uh, something that Paul is warning us uh, vehemently against here. And realize that uh, I don't want to come off as I'm picking on politics here, right? This, this, can, this can take place really in any arena. And so uh, right now what's really pre prevalent in our society is secularism. And so, you know, secularism basically says, uh, you know, we need to kind of push Christianity to the side. It claims that um, the Bible has been d disproved by science. Uh, it claims that, you know, really if we could just get past Christianity, then we could actually progress further as a society. Um, and this really took prevalence uh, in the 20th century. Um, and the funny thing is, we, we see really the, the 20th century uh, is defined by many as the bloodiest and most violent uh, century in the history of the world. And that's clearly no accident, right? As this kind of death of God movement came to being, our, our society actually started to, to decay in many respects. And so you have uh, just millions and millions of lives lost during this time, right? I mean, we have... Uh, World War I, tens of millions of lives are lost. We have six million Jews uh, killed in the Holocaust. The ensuing World War II case centered on this. Uh, you have tens of millions more. 
You have totalitarian regimes in, in China and the Soviet Union killing tens of millions of their own people uh, in a secularist type of state. So we just need to understand that you know, we can really break these things down pretty quickly. And we can see uh, that, hey, culture, society, it isn't going to progress based on an ideology outside of pursuing the Lord and pressing forward into what he has for each and every one of our lives. But the thing is, if we're not careful, these ideologies can begin to, begin to creep in, right? Uh, many, of, many of us uh, in here uh, are believers, right? And so from that lens, it's like, well, obviously I'm not going to adopt secularism. But secularism also says that your faith is intended to be a personal thing, okay? If, if we can't get rid of it entirely, well, at least let's not talk about it, Right? And so it becomes really easy for us to begin to uh, walk out that life where we don't talk about our faith and we don't share it, which is actually contradictory uh, to what Jesus called us to do, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we have to be careful because this, this ideology can, can begin to creep in without us realizing it. Um, beyond that, I mean, there's, there's plenty of us, uh, I should say, within uh, the Christian faith that, that really um, approach our faith as just something additional, right? And so what ends up happening is we, we come to church, you know, at 8.15 on, on Sunday morning. We uh, are here for maybe two hours, but then the other 166 hours of the week, we just live as we see fit. You know, it's, it's not even just uh, one day a week we can't even give the Lord, right? It's not the other six days, it's the other 166 hours, and, man, it is so easy for us to walk down that faith if we get, or walk down that path if we begin to compartmentalize our faith. And that's what secularism says, right? It, it's become, in a sense, this distortion of uh, the separation of church and state to such an extent that it says, hey, don't, uh, don't you dare talk about your faith in your workplace. Don't you dare talk about your faith with friends, right? Hey, don't talk about religion and politics, right? Oh, so that's saying don't share my faith. And that's what, that's what our culture is constantly telling us. So just be conscious of that, that, man, even if uh, we have an awareness of what secularism is, even if we, we say, oh, man, well, that doesn't affect me, the reality is that these cultural ideologies can begin to uh, shape our thinking if we're not careful, if we don't recognize uh, what they're doing and how they're impacting our lives, and if our lives aren't rooted in a relationship with the Lord and rooted in Scripture. And so Paul's saying, hey, you, you better, uh, your lives better be rooted in biblical truth if you're going to live the God-intended life or else culture is going to shape you. Um, and realize this, that it's not just secularism. Uh, we also have postmodernism that's very popular today. Uh, and basically postmodernism, uh, in a quick summation, uh, is kind of the to each their own kind of methodology, right? Uh, maybe that's not, not for me, but oh, it's for you. Um, and what it kind of pushes against is that concept of absolute truth. And so it really claims that there is no absolute truth. So, so clearly uh, a faith, okay, that claims that there is one God and the only way to him and the only way for salvation is through Jesus Christ. Uh, the only way to the Father is through Christ. Uh, that's a faith that's making an absolute claim uh, is obviously going to be pushed in the margins because it's going to be seen as ridiculous. But when we really actually begin to kind of unpack this, uh, we begin that postmodernism kind of, kind of falls before it can even get started, right? Um, because postmodernism claims that there's no absolute truth. But just in saying that there's no absolute truth, you're making an absolute claim. And so you can't even make the first argument of postmodernism without it falling to pieces. 
So just understand a lot of these things that influence us, a lot of these things that pull on people, man, there's no fabric to them. And these ideologies, they fall apart really before they can even develop. Uh, But having said that, boy, it it becomes easy for it to to infiltrate our faith, right? That's why when I read the statistic of the number of people, number of believers that think that different roads can lead to heaven, right? Different roads can lead to salvation in Christ. That's that's postmodernism making an impact on their thinking, um, that's, that's an ideology, a false ideology. Just like these Judaizers in Paul's day, that's what's happening today. The secularist, the postmodern uh, kind of values and cultural beliefs pushing in on our Christian faith and distorting it to such a way that it's no longer uh, the gospel of grace presented us by Paul, by Christ, and the early apostles. And so, in a sense, uh, any of these things can drive us away from our faith. And so, what, what Paul's touching on here is how do we interpret truth? Is it going to be through feelings? Is it going to be through culture? Is it going to be through emotions and all those different things? Or is it going to be on the fact that God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And, and that's the essence of what our life has to be rooted on. Uh, the next thing that Paul would say, uh, the next point here, is that we need to discipline our lives for intimacy with Christ. Um, and so the Greek word for know means to know personally through experience. And so Paul's saying that there's an ex- experiential reality to our relationship uh, with the Lord. Um, that it can't just uh, come about um, through uh, getting information, right? The acquisition of information isn't going to do it. And we can't approach Scripture that way, right? We can't approach Scripture ever from a means of just attaining information. But rather how we must approach it is to personally encounter the living God. Because understand this, that we're not uh, to approach Scripture like it's an autobiography about Abraham Lincoln, right? We learn all about Abraham Lincoln, but guess what? You don't know Abraham Lincoln, okay, no matter how many autobiographies you read. But if we make the mistake of approaching Scripture that way, then we never really have a personal relationship with him. And so the the reality becomes we need to approach Scripture understanding that it's God's word, that we're literally uh, engaging with the Lord in that process and that we can have a personal relationship with him. And there's, there's two things that Paul specifically points out here in this uh, verse. He says uh, in verse 10 here, uh, uh, two ways that he's saying that we can have that personal relationship with the Lord. First, he says, uh, we come to know the Lord intimately through the power of his resurrection. Um, and for me, that, that spoke volumes because I came to know the Lord uh, really through, the, through, in many ways, the power of his resurrection. I came to know the Lord uh, because I saw his cleansing power in my own life. Um, I, was, I was in a very broken place and just seeing the Lord love me like crazy um, and allow me to kind of uh, purify my heart uh, in a sense that I didn't think was possible. Uh, to see him uh, raise me up into a man that I was actually proud of for the first time in my life that I could actually look at and go, hmm, that's somebody I actually want to be. Uh, to, to see myself actually making, becoming a better man, becoming the person I'd always kind of wanted to be in a sense. Um, and seeing the fruit of it in the lives that I was able to impact. And look, that's not, that's not boasting about myself. That's genuinely saying, like, I saw the Lord in, at work in my life, and it, it, I saw his power at work in my life, and it, it deeply affected me. And there was a, an aspect of, of him that I came to know that I would not have been able to know without the power of his resurrection, without that, that positive component, uh, that, that victory that Jesus had on the cross that that gets to infiltrate my heart, that gets to infiltrate my life and begin to allow me to overcome a number of things that I just never thought I would ever be able to overcome in this life. But on the flip side, Paul also says that 
we get to know the Lord intimately through the fellowship of his sufferings. Um, and man, it's, it's easy for us to kind of get on one side of this thing or the other. To say, oh man, I have victory in Christ. Or on the flip side to go, oh man, I'm just going to suffer with the Lord the rest of my life, right? It, it's a balance. It's a balance because we saw that Jesus ultimately had victory, but he also suffered mightily. And so we're called to walk a similar life. And so that, that suffering component um, should not surprise us. It actually becomes a platform for, for us not only to get to know the Lord more intimately, it becomes a platform in a sense uh, for us to uh, share the gospel, to show the goodness of God to the world around us. Um, th- this happened to me uh, not, not too long ago. Um, I actually coach at a school about five minutes from here, coach football. Um, and I had one of my players got in an absolute freak accident. Um, one of those things where we were unsure if he was going to really have normal functioning in life again. Um, it, was, it was pretty severe, and, and glory to God, uh, he has recovered. Uh, this was just a few months ago, and we, we were unsure of what it was going to look like. Um, and so I had the opportunity to go. I, I took lunch to the family, sat down with them, sat down with his parents. Um, and during this time, I'm just thinking about, man, how can I minister to this family? How can I be there for them in the midst of their suffering? And at the end of our time together, I'm sitting with a dad and a son, and the dad looks at me and he goes, hey, can I, is there anything I can pray for you for? I'm just like, you know, my initial reaction is like, no, <laughs> you know, like you don't need to be praying for me. Like you don't need to be praying for me. Like take care of yourself. You're the one suffering, you know. But before I could even get that out of my mouth, he says, if we become too fixated on our own problems, that is when things really get bad. We must instead always place our focus on the needs of others. And man, did that wreck my heart, right? Like here I am, you know, like thinking I'm going to minister to this family, you know, like getting ready to pray. And they minister to me. I'm, I get to see a component of God's nature that I otherwise never would have seen. And I get to go, holy cow, that's what an intimate relationship with the Lord really looks like. Because, you know, as I watch them, even before he said this to me, as I watch them um, walk through this journey, I was just like, man, they, ha- they either have... You know, really strong faith there. Man, they're slightly in denial of how severe this is, you know. They're just like, because there's just such a strong faith, it's kind of hard to discern in a sense at times. Like, are they really facing reality or they really have that much faith in the Lord? When he said that, it answered my question. I said, holy cow, this guy's got a, a faith much stronger than mine. And it just impacted me so deeply. Um, and so, again, those, those components of God's goodness and love and how to really uh, walk in intimacy through him in our sufferings was shown to me. Uh, because of an individual that went through uh, a grave, grave situation. As we go on, uh, the scripture reads, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So Paul said, I'm going to, pre- going to press on, I'm moving forward, um, I'm moving forward to finish the race fully and completely. Uh, he was saying that, in a sense, too, that uh, our past can be an obstacle uh, to us moving forward. And there's three primary components here, right? There's our, po- our past can be an obstacle in, in three ways. Our, it can be our past accomplishments, our past wounds and offenses, or our past failures. Um, and, and in the terms of past accomplishments, I know you've all, all been around the person that, 
uh, still talked about how good they were in, in high school football or basketball, right? They talk about how they were in the coolest fraternity in college, you know, the, the youngest person in this business venture, the VP, the youngest VP in this. But, like, you look at their life and there's very little that actually reflects the Lord. And that's because they're so busy looking behind uh, that they're, they're not pressing forward into all the Lord has for them. But the reality is that, that this, we need to be humble in the sense of knowing that this can happen to any, any of us. Or we can get fixated on our past accomplishments. Uh, and so we, we no longer uh, press forward into what we have. And really, in a sense, that's what, what Paul is warning against here. He even calls his own accomplishments rubbish, right? Like he, he's, he calls his own accomplishments rubbish. And you look at him and, man, he has a religious pedigree that rivals anybody. He has past accomplishments. He has uh, socioeconomic status. He had a great family heritage. He has all these components in his life, and he's saying, I count them all as rubbish to knowing Christ. Right? I'm going to press forward into what the Lord has for me. I'm going to live the God-intended life. Uh, secondly, we can also uh, be impacted by past wounds and offenses. And so this can be portrayed in the, in the woman, say, that, uh, man, a high school boyfriend broke up with her. And so now she's 45 years old, still living, isolated life, won't let anybody in, um, doesn't have any deep or intimate or real relationships. Uh, she's, she's unwilling to actually press forward into what the Lord has for her because she's too fearful that she's going to be ended up being taken advantage of. She's going to end up being wounded, okay, going to end up being hurt. And it can sound like a silly illustration and say, oh, man, that's out there. But like what happens when it's, it's our lives and it's, it's uh, sexual abuse? when it's a, a spouse that's been unfaithful to us and walked away, all right, when we've suffered through a divorce, when, when uh, we've dealt with severe betrayal in, in one way or another, when we've been in a business venture and our partner that we trusted so deeply stole so much from us. Well, then it becomes very real, right? Because I know all of us have some sort of wounds like that in our lives. And what Paul's warning us against is that those things can be the things that hold us back from living the God-intended life. Those things can be the things that hold us back to our, from our ultimate destiny in Christ. And, and realize this, don't take this from me, but take it from Paul. Take it from Scripture. I mean, Paul literally was flogged, was beaten, was left for dead. Like this man is somebody who, if, if any of us had a reason to, to sit and mope, right, based on what happened to us, or to become angry, it's Paul. But he keeps pressing forward. And so really, in a sense, what Paul's warning us against are two extremes here. And the one extreme is to chase after success, okay? And so what we end up doing is we push down those wounds, we push down those hurts, and we just keep plugging away, acting like it's not there. What ends up happening is it's destructive to us internally, and it's destructive to those who we love most. Um, Then on the other side of it are those that I already mentioned that just kind of sit and and just never move forward because they're so hurt by it. But what what Paul's saying is, no, we need to press forward. But what pressing forward looks like is actually inviting the the Lord into that component of our lives. What pressing forward looks like is is moving forward into the destiny that the Lord has for us so we can actually heal us of those wounds and of those hurts. And that's what Paul is calling us to. He's not being insensitive. He's not saying, hey, man, don't deal with that. He's saying, no, you've got to deal with it. But the way to deal with it is to press forward into what the Lord has for you. Um, And here we also see uh, past failures. All right, and I mean, again, we've, we've all dealt with this, okay? And so uh, it can so easily be us where we've dealt with uh, struggles academically, okay? We've dealt with struggles athletically. We've dealt with struggles in our, bus- in our business, okay, in our careers. We've dealt with businesses or uh, we, we've dealt with failures. Maybe we had a failed marriage, 
okay, or, or any kind of other failed relationship. And what can end up happening here if we're not careful is that we stop pressing forward, we stop moving forward out of fear of failure. And so we want to get things just right, and we want to have everything just perfect. And to be quite frank, that is more my disposition. I think all of us are going to struggle in a certain area here. Really, I mean, these speak to all of us in some way or another, right? Each one of it does. But maybe you, you have one area where you really struggle. And I would say this, this is the one that convicted me the most, right? Because I like to have things just right. I like to do it well. I like to succeed. But I realized that, man, those past failures can really uh, have a hold on my life. If, if I'm unwilling to go, you know what? I'm actually going to step forward so that the Lord can allow me to step into this so that I can actually get beyond that fear and apprehension. So I can get beyond that, you know, like I said, that fear that, that grips me or holds me back. And, and man, that, that, is, that is true for any of us. It's true for any of us. It's going to be important that we allow ourselves to move forward because it's actually uh, God that's ushering us into those things so we can overcome those fears and so that we can step into the the destiny it has in our lives so you can step into and live the God-intended life. All right, as we continue reading, uh, verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul here is saying, surround yourself with people who model through values and practice the Christ life. Uh, we learn so much through others. We learn so much about Christ's likeness uh, through watching another's lives. Uh, one of the first things that I say to anybody uh, that I'm mentoring is, hey, it can't just be me, right? Like you need to invite others into your life in these other areas. Um, and this is true as we see in Proverbs that wisdom is found in the counsel of many. And that's really what, what Paul is touching on here is, hey, we have to have others in our lives. Obviously, he's very bold in saying, hey, you can imitate me. All right, and as we learn to uh, walk into the fullness of Christ ourselves, we can then tell others that, okay? But what he's saying is, man, you better have people in your lives that you can go to. Uh, you better have people in your lives that you can look to. And so if you're an engineer, if you're um, a teacher, if you're a nurse, if you're a project manager, you, you probably want somebody in that arena um, to show you what Christ-likeness looks like. Uh, if you're single, you probably want somebody that's single, Okay, and also some of this married that's walked through it well. Uh, if you're, you're newly married, same thing. If you're a young parent, same thing. If you're a new grandparent, same thing, right? Because all these things get, get to show us a component of God's nature, right? Um, as uh, in our vocation, we get to see what it looks like uh, to use the gifts and skills and the abilities and our unique talents uh, for our vocation to go make an impact on the world. Uh, for... Um, If we're single, we get to see what a God-honoring life in that aspect of our life looks like. If we're in marriage, we get to learn about mutual submission and Christ-like love for one another. If we're new grandparents, we get to learn how to love our grandkids in the much harder part, loving our kids uh, who have all those uh, unique, um, how do I say this? They have their unique opinions about what parenting looks like, right? And learning, okay, how do I love them in the midst of that, right? And how do I navigate that? Well, you probably want other grandparents with you, right? And we also get to see these different components of God's nature in the midst of that. And then as we learn to uh, imitate Christ, uh, we're then able to, um, again, tell others boldly like Paul did, hey, imitate me in this way. As we continue in Scripture, verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as, as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. 
with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So Paul's saying our citizenship is in heaven. So for Paul, the thought of heaven is near, like especially now. Um, and in 2 Corinthians 5, he says we're ambassadors for Christ. So he's saying conduct yourselves as citizens of heaven. Be ambassadors of Christ. Be um, a visible expressions of heaven, heaven's values, uh, heaven's hope, uh, heaven's restorative power. And uh, he, he's calling us, in a sense, to, to make an impact on this world in any way we can. To, to not live a, a passive life where we're just waiting for Christ to come back. Not to live a passive life, uh, just waiting to pass to the other side. But rather to live the life that God intended for us. To, to press forward into everything that he has for us. To, to not let a single day go by where we're not... Uh, growing in intimacy with Christ. Not to allow a single moment, right, a single second to go by where we're not pursuing the Lord, where we're not pressing forward into all he has for us. Where we're not making an impact on society and making an impact on those that we love, our family, our friends, our neighbors. Don't let a single day go by where that doesn't happen. Press forward into all he has for you and live that God-intended life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Uh, we thank you for discernment and understanding of, of knowing what you're calling us to. Uh, we thank you for allowing us to see the entrapments that we can so easily fall into. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your grace. Uh, we just ask that you give each and every one of us here uh, the discernment and the power uh, to step forward into what you've called us to and to live the God-intended life. Amen.